I just want to jump in really quickly to ask a very important favour. We know that most of you who listen to No Bullshit Leadership haven't yet hit the subscribe or follow button on your favourite podcast player. This is how the podcast grows. And even though we've already got a pretty decent global following, we're only scratching the surface of what's possible. We started this podcast over five years ago with the lofty ambition of improving the quality of leaders globally. So if you've got any benefit at all from listening to the podcast, I'd ask you to just take a moment, literally a moment, to hit the subscribe or follow button on your favourite player. The world needs more no-bullshit leaders, and you can help us to make that happen. Back to the episode. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership, or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more, access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 142 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Gossip, Chit Chat, and Basecamp, another Q&A with M. Now, we usually only do Q&As once a month, but there are two questions we got last week that we wanted to cover because one of them is really timely. First up, I'm going to take a look at everything that's been happening over at tech company Basecamp. A few weeks ago, Basecamp CEO Jason Freed posted an update on his blog about the changes that would be happening at his organisation. These changes included no more societal and political discussions on the company Basecamp account, no more committees, no more 360-degree reviews, and a few others that we'll cover in this episode. One of our LBT alumni, Drew, wanted to hear my perspective on it, so I'll give that a crack. Secondly, we had a great question come in from longtime listener Sophie, 
who wants to know where to draw the line between positive social chat and too much team chat that wastes time and reduces productivity. Now, we felt this one was better done in Q&A format, so Em's back on the mic with me today after only a one-week break. How are you, Em? I am freezing today. (laughs) We're just starting to see the start of our beautiful Australian winter, so I'm all rugged up with the heater on. (laughs) How's your week been? Yeah, a lot's happening this week. So I was in Sydney with you late last week and then up in Cairns on Sunday uh, doing a speaking gig, which was a heap of fun. And of course, it was nice and warm up there, trust me. Um, But I'm loving being back doing in-person speaking events after over a year of virtual. Now, don't get me wrong, virtual stuff's great, but nothing beats the energy of a room full of people. And we had a great crowd there yesterday. Totally. And that's really when I see you at your best, Marty, when you're able to impact so many people in such a short amount of time, standing up there on stage, um, seeing those light bulb moments happen in real time. So very, very cool. So let's just jump into it straight away, Marty, because we have so much to cover. I feel like this is going to be another bumper episode. Oh, it certainly will. I got an email last week from one of our Leadership Beyond the Theory alumni, Drew, who said, I'm sure you have a long list of things to cover, but while it's fresh, I would love to hear a special episode on what's currently playing out at Basecamp. What a fascinating series of events and opportunity to reflect on decision-making and leadership actions. Now, there's been a lot of opinions thrown around about this over the past few weeks, especially on LinkedIn. So I thought, why not? Let's throw your opinion into the ring too, Marty. To start this one off, can you just give us a summary of the blog post for anyone who hasn't read it, and then we can work through each of the points from there? Uh, Sure, Em. We'll We'll put Jason's blog post in the show notes so you can have a look at it, but here's a quick summary. Now, for background, Basecamp is an American web software company that was founded by Jason Freed in 1999. They're predominantly known for their project management software that was launched in 2004, and they're one of the heavyweights when it comes to project management software alongside companies like Asana and Monday, um, ClickUp, Trello, like they're one of the big players. Now on the 26th of April, Freed released a public blog post updating his team and the world on the changes that he and his founder, David Heinemeyer Hansen, had decided to implement. Likening the company to a product that constantly requires innovation and iterations to increase its performance, they decided to broadcast these changes in one fell swoop on the internet. Now we'll have more about this later. But anecdotally, this resulted in a mass exodus of staff, and in a pretty small company, some say it amounted to a third of the employees overall. Now, that's worth exploring a little to see if Freed's blog was that bad from a leadership perspective. Now, the six key organisational changes they called out were, number one, no more societal and political discussions on our company Basecamp account. Number two, no more paternalistic benefits. That's an interesting one we're going to drill down on. Number three, No more committees, bless my soul. Number four, no more lingering or dwelling on past decisions. Number five, no more 360 reviews. And number six, no forgetting what we do here. So I figured the best way to cover this is to talk about a few of these and give you my view for what it's worth. What do you reckon? Perfect. Let's get into it. All right. Let's start with number one. No societal or political discussions on the company Basecamp account. Now, I got to tell you, I am 100% behind this one. I haven't really appreciated the trend over the last couple of years of CEOs weighing into social issues at all levels. And as an ex-CIO, Chief Information Officer, you can do all that stuff in your own time on your own dime. I don't see it as a suppression of free speech, but a reminder of the appropriateness of engaging in this type of discussion when you're supposed to be focusing on the work you do for the company. 
This is just a way of minimising the focus on non-work stuff in the workplace. Now, obviously, it's unreasonable to expect that there be no interaction between staff on social and political issues, but it does remind people why they're paid. And Freed even says, when it comes to non-work infrastructure, fill your boots. You can go as hard as you like, but just remember your boundaries. And he also observes that deep disconnect between the red and blue sides of American politics at the moment, which drives these conversations to, as he said, dark places. Okay, that sounds a bit dramatic, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm saying, look, sure, that sounds pretty reasonable to me. As I said, as an ex-CIO, I used to do a lot of behaviour modification stuff with people who, for example, downloaded inappropriate or pornographical material using company resources. And I'm not likening it to that, but these days it seems that political discussion can be just as divisive and defensive as pornography was in the past. So Freed isn't banning the conversation, just the use of company resources to facilitate it, which I think is entirely reasonable. What do you reckon, Em? Yeah, I think you're spot on here. It can be really distracting when the company channel is being dominated by that kind of stuff, especially when it's likely that you know, not everyone is going to be aligned because that can cause some seriously fiery conversations. Totally. And then, of course, there's the question of like who is actually monitoring that chat and making sure that things stay respectful because that's part of the you know company's obligation on company channels. So, look, I've got no problem with this one. I think that if it's become an issue for them, ultimately it's going to be in the best interest of the staff and the organization. And as the CEO and co-founders, you know, that's up to them. What's the next one you want to cover, Marty? Uh, So next up, I can't resist number two, no more paternalistic benefits. Now, what's a paternalistic benefit? Um, Instead of giving uh, virtue signaling benefits like gym memberships and wellness bonuses and allowances for further education, they've just been scrapped. And they're converting them to cash equivalents, which I reckon is awesome. And Basecamp is creating a 10% profit share pool for staff to use on whatever they choose to use it on. Now, I've actually done something like this in the past. When I went into CS Energy, um, they used to have free cookies around the kitchen so that people could have them with a cup of tea. And we figured that was pretty unhealthy, having sweet biscuits that weren't promoting health, so we replaced them with fruit bowls. Now, in retrospect, when I look at that, I think, yeah, you know, maybe that was somewhat judgmental, um, even though it was done with the best intention. I wouldn't have been happy about you changing out the cookies for the fruit bowls, but I would have been thankful. (laughs) (laughs) Now, let's face it, they weren't Tim Tams, but they were still pretty good, right? Once again, from Freed's perspective, I think this is awesome. Mm. Every person now gets to make an adult choice about what to spend their money on, and it's a great benefit from Basecamp that very few companies match. Um, It caters to people in different stages of their life, so if you want to focus on your health, you can still do that. You don't need the company directing you to that, but if you want to do something different, like put money into your kid's college education, you can do that instead. Mm. So I'm just not sure why anyone would get bent out of shape over that one. I think it's, you know, the principle of pulling away from virtue signaling is great. I love it. Yep, me too. Completely agree. And interestingly, we've had quite a few students go through Leadership Beyond the Theory who work in these big global tech companies where these paternalistic benefits are aplenty. And I've often had them say to me, you know, they reference the fact that they actually can't or don't take um, the lunch breaks for, you know, yoga or Pilates or make use of the sleep pods for afternoon power naps. You know, I really think what you do in your own time is up to you. And I actually really like this one. It sounds pretty empowering to me. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I, I think they're on track so far. Let's have a crack at number three, though. No more committees. And I've got to tell you, this is music to my ears. <laughs> um, 
You might remember your uncle, my brother Nick, was on the board of Athletics Australia for many years. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Australian Sports Commission did a review in 2014-15, I think. And when the report was released into the state of track and field athletics in Australia, um, the structure of the various bodies that contribute to athletics is extremely complex. But the review found that a proliferation of committees were set up to govern various issues in the sport. And every time a significant issue arose, the board set up a subcommittee to deal with it. And they had over 16 of these at the time when they were reviewed. Uh, The review described them as being used for the dual purpose of consultation with stakeholders and also oversight of operational issues in that area. And the way I look at it, and you know this well with me, Em, committees kill accountability. You end up with this all-care-no-responsibility approach and decision-making slows to glacial speed. It just becomes a, a war of attrition, really, trying to find a compromise that everyone can live with. And it always delivers an inferior outcome to having a singularly accountable decision-maker who's accountable for going and doing consultation, bringing it back, making sense of it, and then making a decision and moving on. Mm-hmm. So management by committee and decision-making by consensus will kill any chance you have of getting organisational momentum and high performance. So, of course, I'm, I'm totally fine with this one. Um, people are accountable for getting shit done. Uh, you enable them. You empower them. You hold them to account for delivering their remit. And, of course, it doesn't preclude consultational guidance. It focuses it through the accountable person. So nothing gets bogged down in process and bureaucracy, and they're handled by the person who's being paid to handle it. And their boss then holds them to account for undertaking the appropriate amount of consultation based on the risk and materiality of whatever that deliverable is. So I'm, I'm behind it all the way. I feel like all I'm doing in this episode is agreeing with you. <laughs> as, as I'd expect, Em. It feels like a bit of a stitch up, but um, yep, I'm into this one as well. Uh, I really like what he said in the blog post. It's back to basics, back to individual responsibility, back to work. That sounds like strong accountability to me. Let's do one more. Uh, yeah, okay. Look, the one the one I like after that is no more 360-degree reviews. Now, this one I'm not quite so sure about. I can see Freed's point, um, and there are some real problems with 360-degree reviews, but let's just go into this a little bit deeper because I'm not completely aligned with him. For those of you who don't know, a 360-degree review is where you get feedback in a structured way from people all around you. That's the 360-degree point. So your boss, your peers... Uh, the people who work for you directly in your team, and sometimes even externals like you know customers or suppliers, depending on how far you want to go. But Basecamp introduced these a few years ago, and Freed felt as though they'd made things worse rather than making them better because he said it made feedback harder. Now, this is weird, but I completely get where he's coming from. The problems with 360-degree reviews is, for a start, there's bias in the respondents. So there's bias in the choice of respondents. Who do I choose to give me feedback? And most people aren't going to go out and get someone that they think is going to give them negative reviews for a start. So it's already biased and it's already weighted the wrong way. The second thing is the anonymity of the review. So people fill out a survey. Sometimes they're quite extensive, hundreds of questions lasting you know, half an hour or more. And because they know they're operating under anonymity, they will say things that they wouldn't necessarily say to someone's face. It's a bit like trolling, right? But this flies both ways. Sometimes they'll say things that are really, really harsh that they wouldn't normally say. And other times they won't go far enough because they'll feel, oh, well, you know, I can't really tell Marty he's a dick. I'd better be nice to him. (laughs) And so you don't always get this genuine uh, response. Um, 
I think it's useful for peer assessment more than anything else. Um, Freed actually made the comment in his blog that he thought the peer assessment was useless because people were always going to say flattering things, but I don't think that's the case in my experience. Mm. And when it comes to your boss, like you should know about your boss's feedback already, even though I guess sometimes it's not the case. However, look, it's useful to pick up on trends. Now, it was through expert application of the human synergistics LSI model that I discovered my early tendency to value perfection over excellence. And you might find this hard to believe, Em, because now I'm all about excellence. But Well, you passed that trait on to me, I think. I, I, I probably did. You too can fix it, right? <laughs> but, but as I was tested over the years, you know, a, you know, a couple of years apart, I could see this shifting based on my conscious efforts to change. So I could see the trend in an over-reliance on perfectionism at the expense of results to shifting that completely so that perfectionism wasn't important to me and the excellence and achievement focus to getting results was. And that was super, super valuable. So for me, that helped me to change something that really made a difference to my effectiveness as a leader. Um, But, you know, hey, they're also time-consuming, they're resource-intensive, and sometimes leaders think that as long as they're giving these 360-degree feedbacks, that's it. That's all they need to do, and that's the only feedback they need to engage in. But we know the day-to-day stuff in the leadership dialogue is infinitely more important. Yeah. Um, you don't want leaders getting used to hiding behind anonymity with their comments either. So insofar as Freed wants to put the emphasis back on the need for leaders to give free-flowing feedback, that doesn't require paperwork. Big tick, right? Um, 360s may let people think that this is the only feedback mechanism when the day-to-day feedback is infinitely more important. And I think in Freed's defence, organisation size is quite important to take into account. Now, in larger organisations, there's definitely a place for 360 reviews. There's also a place for formal performance management assessment, uh, at least annually, but preferably more frequently. And talent management processes also serve the company really well as it grows. You know what people want to know? Three things. What are your expectations of me? How am I performing against those expectations? And what does my future hold? And all of that can be wrapped up in that framework, so to speak. So look, I give free to pass mark here. Six out of ten. <laughs> all right. So it sounds like you're pretty comfortable with the new policies. What about the actual execution? Oh, yeah, good point. Uh, execution? Terrible. <laughs> now, if it's true that the first anyone heard of these new policies was via his public blog, then obviously it has some serious issues. That's not the way to implement change. Um, any change you want to make around the people side of a business needs to have an explicit implementation and change path um, dealt with in both group settings and one-on-ones. Now, Freed apparently held a meeting a few days after this missive that pushed employees over the edge. For some, they said it was the final nail in the coffin working for founders who didn't care what employees said or thought and suppressed their views and opinions, which is sort of weird, right? That doesn't come through in the style Mm. that Freed writes in. But it also reminds me of um, our episode 31 years ago of Um, no bullshit leadership, which was don't shoot the messenger. And if you remember that one, it was about the culture at Theranos, the company that managed to cover up a huge fraud for several years. And they conned some really savvy investors into parting with huge dollars to back the company. Now, like Theranos with Basecamp, we'll never know what truly went on. It's almost impossible to know what a culture is really like until you work in it. But, you know, Freed was generous to the end. He offered Superb financial packages to those who chose to leave, giving his blessing and hope that they have a bright future, like he seems like he's done everything right. And I must say I love this approach. You know, We only want people here who really want to be here, 
And if you don't want to be, well, that's okay. Anyhow, I'll talk more about communication shortly because I think um, Sophie's question touches on this too. Absolutely. I think you dealt with that superbly, Marty. Oh, really thanks, good deep dive. <laughs> well, there's been so much talk about it on you know LinkedIn and various social platforms. So I think it was important to kind of go through some of those points and really dig out um, the meanings behind them. So I think that was, that was really good. Yeah, great. And we may, have, we may have just kicked off a whole new thread on LinkedIn with Drew, depending on what he thinks of my answers. Hey, Drew, how are you, mate? <laughs> so true. All right, let's get on to Sophie's question now. Sophie asked, when does social chat move from a positive thing, improving culture, to a negative thing with waste of time and loss of productivity? Further to that, how can I address excessive chatting in my team? Uh, Okay. Fortunately, Sophie, this is a little bit simpler than the last one. Thank you. Um, First of all, why do we have social chat at work? And I'm a believer in the fact that it is really, really important. So it's there for uh, bonding between team members, for human connection, Uh, identification with the values. It's basically an essential part of the workday. And one of the things that's a little lost in the COVID world of remote working and Zoom meetings, I think, is this very thing. Yeah. However, we need to be careful not to overdo it. And Sophie's question hits this at its core. If we think about the happy workers are productive workers myth, many leaders will overrate the value of social chat and they'll put no boundaries at all around it. Instead of a positive interlude between work blocks, it becomes the reason for people attending the work environment and productivity suffers accordingly, as you might imagine. Just because staff might be happier chatting, it doesn't mean that this enables them to do better work for the company. And in fact, in my experience, it's normally the opposite. I have even heard leaders describe their teams, and you'll appreciate this, Em, because you'll know who I'm talking about, as high-performing teams when they have a high degree of connected, jovial social chat amongst the team members. This apparently is seen to promote collaboration and cooperation between team members and deliver better results. Bullshit. Absolute bullshit. (laughs) I figured you'd go there, Marty. So what is excessive chatting? Like, how can you tell the difference between a really tight-knit culture and one that is just too social? It seems like a fine line. Yes, it is. But by the same token, if you leave aside the symptom and the chat is the symptom of the culture and get to the root cause, it becomes a little bit clearer. You've got to go back to performance always. Ultimately, you can't manage performance based on inputs. So for example, what time is spent on certain activities, only on outputs, value delivery, quality, effectiveness of results. So for some people whose performance is substandard, I'd have very little tolerance for them spending a lot of time around the water cooler chatting. But for a high performer delivering really well, they get heaps more latitude. And ultimately, you have to deal with this on an individual basis. And feedback has to be given as to what your expectations are. So I don't think there's a blanket rule for this at all. Uh, But if you are setting the right targets for your people and stretching them to achieve their outcomes, you can't go wrong. They won't have time to spend too much of their day in gossip and chit-chat. And if you see them talking too much, well, Up the ante, give them more work, reaffirm the need for them to produce and get them back on task. It's always a judgment call. Mm, Super interesting. So let's say that we've worked out that our culture is too social. What happens next? How do we put an end to it without being hated or, you know, all the chatty Cathy's turning against us? Yes, and um, I don't think this is too hard. This also relates back to the point I was making earlier about um, base camp. When you're going to make a change, it's just a simple matter of communicating it the right way. 
So if you're going to change anything, make it explicit. Don't just expect people to catch on because they may not. And the first thing is make sure you've got a reason for changing and a purpose in mind for the result. You've got to have that. Uh, a catalyst is also good. Why the change and why now? What's prompted you to make that change now? So I would always, if I was going to make a change about the way a team works together, I'd just have a small group meeting, nothing really formal. i just call them together and say, hey guys, I notice there's been a lot of time spent around the water cooler at the moment chatting, and I know you're in some times that are really interesting and you want to have lots of conversations together, but really, let's focus back on work, shall we? Uh, and I don't much having a chat, but you know, hey, keep it to a small roar and keep it under control. And so I do that in a group setting just to make sure that I've got the general outline. And then after that, I'd have one-on-one -on -one meetings with individuals, particularly to say to the high performers, hey, look, Emma, I know it's not you, right? You're producing brilliantly. Um, you know, it's just the other guys. I need to put some boundaries around them because they're not doing as well as you and they've got to get on task again. But, you know, it's not about you, mate. It's about them. Uh, or if I had someone who was a real problem who wasn't delivering at all, I'd actually use that as an opportunity to say in a one-on-one -on -one sense, look, you're not producing what you're supposed to be producing at the best of times. Spending too much time wasted talking about social matters that have nothing to do with work, that's not helping your cause. You actually need to be doing your work and getting that produced. And if you can get that done, fantastic, talk as much as you like. But I really need you to focus down on that. So there's the group element, there's the one-on-one -on -one element. But, you know, you've got to be pretty strong to do this. No one wants to be a killjoy, as you said. Mm. Um, and this is where the leaders need to really pull on that respect before popularity mantra. So you take the issues into one-on-one -on -one territory and then you can debate it more easily and appropriately. Um, but big tip, always come from the direction of results or lack of them rather than behaviours, which is too much chatter. Get to the root cause, not the symptom. You know, now we've had this conversation, I think that Tash probably thinks that I'm too chatty in the office. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you are too. I'll have to make sure that my results are on point so that I'm kept extra busy. <laughs> We've covered so much in this episode. Thank you for the great questions, Drew and Sophie. If you ever want to send a question through or a theme that you'd like us to cover or something that is um, topical, email us at hello at yourceomentor.com or send us a direct message on any of our social channels. We love taking your questions. They're so much fun. Yeah, thanks, Em. And uh, that brings us to the end of episode 142. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please share this episode with your network of leaders who will be interested in these topical things. And guys, as always, if you haven't subscribed to or rated the podcast, please take a minute to do it. It means so much to us. It helps us reach more leaders from all over the world. And that's what we are about. Thanks for having me on again, Marty. I promise that I won't crash the podcast um, in another two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Thanks, Em. And look, I'm going to look forward to next week's episode, Believing Your Own Bullshit. Until then, I know you take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader. <laughs>